Welcome to Playback, a new weekly podcast here at Variety. I'm your host, Chris Tapley, awards editor of Variety, and on today's show, with the film awards season around the corner, we break down a few Oscar possibilities from the first half of the year. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Seth Rogen about his raunchy new animated comedy, Sausage Party, opening in theaters tomorrow. So stick around. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Janelle Riley, Variety's Deputy Awards and Features Editor. I got your title right, didn't yes, I? Yes, you did. Awesome. I'm sorry. It's a very it's a long um, one. convoluted title. Yeah, well, but it sounds very important. Yeah. I can arrest people, you know. I'm a deputy. You're a deputy. You've been deputized by Variety. And, uh, you know, yeah, weekly podcast here. This is our pilot. Things might be a little rusty. We're going to give it a shot. But uh, this being uh, the kind of cusp of uh, award season... That Already. makes that makes the uh, it makes all the sense in the world to start there, right? So, let's look at some deserving contenders from the first eight months of the year. We're, we're in August now already, if you can believe it. And as you say, the season is here already. It seems like every year that off season gets smaller. Mm-hmm. But here we are, and uh, as we wrote in the column recently, there's you know a number of films every year that tend to just get forgotten because the studios back backload the the year and. Uh, before you know it, you know, every once in a while there's a Grand Budapest Hotel that can stick out. But there's just great stuff from earlier in the year that deserves a shout out. So I heard that now some people want to follow the Grand Budapest model and actually come out earlier in the year so that they can, you know, be in the awards race later in the year, which I don't know that that really works it, unless you're Grand Budapest Hotel. It's hard. It's like there's, it's alchemy, right? Like you can never tell how it works out. I don't think anyone thought that Grand Budapest was going to do what it did when it released, even when it was a huge critically acclaimed movie in March of that year. And so I think it would be wiser to push stuff off because, A, it keeps you from just having that bottleneck at the end of the year, and, B, it gives you an opportunity to have your film breathe in its own space. Yeah, absolutely. Just in general. Like if a movie can pop... Like, you know, Hail Caesar had its fans in February of this year. I was one of them. And you were one of them. <laughs> we were just talking about, uh, okay, now, his his name. Oh, boy. Alden, <laughs> we know is his first name. Alden Ehrenreich right. is, 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 is the gentleman's name playing Han Solo. And you found out what his uh, his his DJ name was. No, that's Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort. See, I, there we go. I'm confused. That's why you were confused. That's that why I was like, how do you Alden say his name? Had was, oh, no, Ansel Elgort's... Uh, <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing Ansel's name right. Apparently, his DJ name is On Solo. That's interesting. So that that's what now you know why I was confusing it yeah, because very of Alden. Confused. No, who will be? Isn't Alden? We going sound to be? so old. We do, is don't we? Ansel Elgort and Hell Caesar <laughs> that, and Alden Ehrenreich. That gentleman. <laughs> Those kids. Those kids today. Get off my lawn. But speaking of Alden, oh, he's awesome. What a Hell fantastic Caesar. breakthrough performance! Yeah. yeah, I spent the whole movie just going. Who is this guy? And then, you know, looking him up, I guess he'd done like some episodic TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, obviously I was not alone because after that he booked the Han Solo role. Mm-hmm. He has the Warren Beatty movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he has like three other things. He's everywhere. He's on the rise. He's one of these like it's like seven or eight guys that were up for Han Solo. And it's like who was going to pop out of all of them. I'm a big Emery Cohen fan. Oh, sure. I was kind of kind of holding out for him. But this guy has the face, and he has the the disposition. And in Hail Caesar, he just holds his own against Ray Fiennes tearing down the scenery. With you know, that's that's the other thing. Ray Fiennes has like found like a new. He's a comedy god. He's, I know. He's like, yeah, it's it, between this and I think he's amazing in Bigger Splash, which is yeah. was someone that I was going to mention in this conversation as well. And uh, 
He's and then Grand Budapest. Speaking of earlier, he, he's just got this timing that's like impeccable. Who knew the Nazi from Schindler's List would be so amazing in the comedy realm? Although this is a little embarrassing, I met him during press for the movie he directed, um, the one where he played Charles Dickens. Was it not Charles? Oh Dickens. yes. Um, no, no, you're right. Uh, the Unknown Woman. Or unknown something? Woman. Yeah. I'm look. I really am. It's, it it my played topic. Telluride. Speaking of fall <laughs> festivals. And. Uh, I had to tell him, as silly as it sounds, I was like, you know what you were really great in was Made in Manhattan. And it sounds <laughs> like a joke. And he like, But he understood what I was saying, which was that it is hard to do that light comedy, especially when you know how the movie is going to end, and make it work. And he is very light and funny and charming. Invisible Woman. Invisible Woman. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Nah, don't the be. great Felicity Jones. Between Alden and Ansel and Invisible <laughs> and Unknown, I mean, we, we can be forgiven, I think. <laughs> But yeah, he's just found this new calling as a comedian, and I hope he keeps going. I remember interviewing, interviewing him this year about that, and he he certainly doesn't come at it with a comedian comedian's approach. No. He, he just, he's still very serious and just plays what's on the page, and he just finds the right kind of spots to nail it. And uh, If you watch our Actors on Actors episode with him and Christoph Waltz, mm-hmm. it is two people talking about comedy in the most deadly serious terms <laughs> and almost unintentionally being hilarious because they'll they'll go off on these like long philosophical discussions and then end by saying and that's why it's funny <laughs> it almost makes you wonder if deep down they know exactly what they're doing yeah exactly <laughs> they're smart guys well uh we i think we're both fans of 10 cloverfield lane and i wanted to talk about that because it's yeah. a genre movie and genre movies are not really taken that seriously when it comes to you know major awards and i think that both mary elizabeth winstead and john goodman are fantastic she's so great movie. she should have been nominated for smashed yeah yeah that was that was a shame um and she just consistently does great work and i think for a long time i sort of dismissed her as you know just a you know, a generic starlet. Yeah. And she's proven to be so much more than that. And as good as John Goodman is in 10 Cloverfield Lane, and no one's going to argue that, he's fantastic. Man's never been nominated. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah, it is. Um, You know, she's there holding her own with him. Well, on top of which, I don't think he would be as, like, have the impact that he has in the performance if she wasn't doing what she's doing. 100%. Because, you know, this it's a very claustrophobic movie, and she has to play a lot of internal just strife mm-hmm. kind of in the, just just trying to understand the situation she's in what kind of danger she might really be in or maybe she's not in as much danger she thought she thought she was in it's a consistent discovery that she's going through the whole movie and it's fascinating to watch her play it john gallagher jr is also very good I feel, we, I feel bad there's three out. people in this movie <laughs> and everyone keeps praising the other two it's like uh when brokeback mountain came out and everyone but anne hathaway got nominated mm-hmm. although she you know Probably had the last laugh there, so. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, you know, a recent movie that is actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug it because later on I'll be talking to Seth Rogen, is Sausage Party. Have you had a chance to see that yet? Oh, you don't know my feelings about Sausage Party. I don't Party. know your feelings. I'm sh- you know what? I am going to see it. I'm sure it's hilarious. I will probably really like it. I have a problem with thinking about my food having a soul. <laughs> well, then- or for that matter, my food having sex. Well, the soul part is interesting because the entire movie is kind of, it ends up going in theological directions. Oh, my. And the idea is, you know, if food doesn't think that it gets eaten, well, what does food think happens to it? Well, and also if food is made of other things, like hot dogs are made out of, well, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what they're made out of, but like, so do all those things have a soul? I'm sure these are questions well, now you're that will be answered. Well, way deeper than the movie bothered okay. to get deep. But it, it, it becomes, an, just like Preacher and just like This is the End, it becomes a way for him to explore, like, Ideas of religion and ideas and I like those of, of theology. Very it's it's very yeah. it's a very interesting movie, a very 
standout movie in the animated race. Not not a chance in hell of getting the nomination from the animators. What about screenplay? <laughs> nah. Really? Nah. You know, I mean, it's just you're dealing with uh, pushing a rock uphill with, at that point. But I'm going to be sitting here banging the gong. That's really? Sure. You really like it? I love the movie. It's, really? I, I feel like I have no choice but to put it on my top ten list at the end of the year. Wow. I, okay, I well, you've gotten me excited about seeing it. But I was a huge This Is The End fan, too. I really like that movie. And, and I put that on yeah. my top ten. But it, I just, again, I think that in the realm of comedy, he's he's playing with interesting ideas that no one else is. So, In any case, uh, also coming out this month is Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh, <laughs> what Polar a... opposite of Sausage Party, by I the way. I know, but, and yet we both love it, don't we? It's undeniably charming. It's. I think it's the first real, um, we can talk about Captain Fantastic later, but that's a dark horse. Whereas mm-hmm. I think Florence Foster Jenkins has the opportunity to go all the way in all the major categories. It really does. I mean, I, I was a little surprised. It opened in the UK in April, so it's been around. And I just thought, oh, this will be a Golden Globe thing. It'll Maybe, maybe it'll be a play for Merrill, which it obviously will be mm-hmm. that. But it can go further than that. I mean, it could get screenplay. It could get Best Picture for Director. Paramount, who has tons of movies this year. Stephen Director Frears, Stephen Frears. Always solid. Yeah. I mean, it's better than stuff like, uh, you know, Philomena, I think. Oh, which, how dare you. I'm sorry. I mean, I, but in terms <laughs> of just Philomena. the softer plays, yeah. for, for lack of a better term, that, that have managed to, to make it through in the past. It's better than Frears did uh, Miss Henderson Presents, which was a nomination for Judy Dench a I few years I didn't know back. he did that. Mm-hmm. He also did the um, Lance Armstrong movie that nobody saw. Oh, from last year. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't even remember the title of. I don't either. Isn't that terrible? We but, really do know our stuff. We are, yeah. <laughs> we're on top of it here. You, but in you, addition to Merrill, I mean, how what a revelation is Simon Helberg. Oh, he's and so good. And of course, you know that I, for years, have, have found Hugh Grant one of the most underrated actors on the planet, and I would love to see him get nominated for this. He is so charming, and he does that light thing. He also does some heavy things. He's just fantastic across the board. He's really the heart of the movie. He is, 100%. In a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. you just you, the love he has for her... You know, the, the relationship they have together, how much he protects her. It's like it, it, it kind of can choke you up at times just to really understand what the character is going through with her. And Did you cry? No, I didn't heartless. cry. But I'm, I'm a little heartless, so don't use me <laughs> as a gauge. But I, I was thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Oh, so I charmed. Mean, I just walked away smiling. I was re- I thought it would be good, but I was surprised by just how good. And once again, I'll be talking about this more in a column probably later this week. I don't know when mm-hmm. this comes out. But, um, yeah, Hugh Grant is, is really the secret ingredient. And I was thinking about Meryl Streep's leading men mm-hmm. and how a lot of times they just don't register. It's like Stanley Tucci in Julie and Julia was mm-hmm. the last time I really remember thinking about her amazing chemistry. And Hugh Grant is up there. Why do you think that is? She just dominates... Maybe, or it's also the stories she tends to pick, yeah. I think, are very central on a woman. And mm-hmm. and this is a good thing, I guess, like a relationship is secondary if they're at all. So it's really kind of fun to see her in like a loving relationship or playing a romance. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's probably all set for her 20th nomination. <laughs> uh, let's see, a few more here. You know, something, have you seen Hell or High Water yet? You know, I haven't. I heard it's fun. It's really fun. It's, you know, it. Uh, Taylor Sheridan wrote it, the writer of uh, Sicario, and it's it, it's it's kind of this playground for the actors, like Jeff Bridges, especially uh, Ben Foster, especially great actor <laughs> and who he, was Lance Armstrong in the Stephen Fury. There movie. you go, synergy. That that's these guys just chew on everything in this movie. It's just it, they they really dig into the characters, and I really liked it for that. Um, 
particularly Bridges. I feel like Jeff Bridges has wanted to be the, to be the oldest man in the world for so long. Like, he, <laughs> he was just, born he plays 60. It so well. He just just wallows inside this character with this like stilted, gruff like Texas accent and he plays a sheriff that's after these two Bank Robbers, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster, and it's it's just a really good genre movie for August. So. I do want to see it. I'm hearing really good things, and I and Ben Foster is an amazing actor. He's yeah. There's a lot of mustaches in that movie. I notice. There's a lot of mustaches, yeah. And Foster put on some weight too because he's he's yeah. chunky. I know chunky that, in the movie. Yeah. So I, I didn't didn't even know it was him at first. Because, yeah, when I saw the trailer, yeah. I had no idea. So check that out. Uh, you know, again, not sure if a movie like that can can stick around, but you know, you never know how actors will take to performances. SAG, as you know, is its own beast when it comes to awards. Yes, one hundred percent. So um, I think SAG is going to love Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh God, yeah. yeah. I, there again, I think ensemble nomination is absolutely possible. Just just with oh, the handful sorry. of people that spark in the movie, you know, yeah. it, it would be enough for the actors. And it's about performing and just oh, the they love, love of being that. an artist. And they love that. Have you seen uh, Indignation? I have not, but I am really like James Seamus. Well, let's skip it yes. and go to uh, one of your favorites recently. Captain Fantastic. Let's hear it. Oh, you, now, have you seen this yet? I have. You finally saw it. Yes. What did you think? Uh, <laughs> I, I struggled with the, uh, the characters. Not that they weren't well wrought, but just that they annoyed the hell out of me. Um, sure, I can see you know, that. But did you think Vigo more? Vigo was great. I mean, He's, no one else could have played that role. I know that role. It was like it was written for him, which yeah. it wasn't. But um, you know, more or less, should have been Matt Ross, the writer director. Uh, told me that, you know, he sent Viggo Mortensen a bunch of books on philosophy and nature to prepare him for the character, mm-hmm. and Viggo already owned almost all of them. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> he is another, it sounds crazy to say underrated when he, you know, starred in the Lord of the Rings movies, but, you know, he's a guy who I don't think really has any interest in stardom. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And use stardom as an opportunity to do movies like this and The Road and Eastern Promises, and he he makes this movie he plays a father who is raising his six children off the grid mm-hmm. in the pacific northwest and they're sort of forced to go back into society for um their mother's funeral mm-hmm. and it's and different. hilarity ensues but it is funny though <laughs> yeah. isn't it Absolutely. i mean like i laughed a lot and it's weird and offbeat and everyone is so good in it um frank langella you know mm-hmm. uh plays his father-in-law like it's just, it's a movie made with like so much love and heart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was really taken by it. And um, I really hope that people remember it at the end of the year, especially for Vigo. Yeah. For me, as much as the characters just as people annoyed me, it, the the interpersonal relationships are really well crafted on the page. You mm-hmm. know, it's a great script for that. And did that start at Sundance or South by Southwest? Sundance. And then what I think was the only other Sundance movie to go to Cannes. Okay. Where, oh, really? Yeah. We won an award for Matt Ross, one of our 10 directors to watch this year. Mm-hmm. Um, best known as Gavin Belson on Silicon Valley. There you go. <laughs> Probably my favorite show on TV. It's the best show on TV, and he is like one of my favorite actors. <laughs> I didn't know his name until recently, but he was one of my favorite actors just by his face. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that could find a pocket of support and get so. a screenplay nomination maybe or people even, love it certainly when it comes to independent uh you know like the indie spirits or the gotham awards you know those become terrain where films like that can can stand out and maybe mm-hmm. get a second win later in the year so yeah and again vigo for vigo the the word that always comes to mind with him when i think about him is just commitment yeah 100 i mean he commits to everything and to this day he's the only guy that i, I interviewed him at a junket for history of violence 
11 years ago now, God. And we were, Katrina stuff was on the news mm -hmm. as we were talking. And we started talking about politics or whatever. And then I don't remember the, the, the nuance of the discussion, but it was a, a, you know, not about the movie talking about politics discussion. And we talked for a while and then it was over and I left and I'm getting on the elevator and he like ran me down because yeah. he wanted to make a, another point. Like he had more, he wanted to talk more. About, he about, does not talk in sound bites. No, no, he yeah, does not. Yeah, he is a very smart, soft-spoken, fiercely thoughtful, intelligent. Very yeah, thoughtful. Yeah, which doesn't lend itself well to say talk shows. Right. But yeah. He was just on something where, oh, it was Bill Maher. Really? <laughs> he, just kept, he just kept kind of going on and on. And I, you could tell Bill Maher wanted to just move on to the next bit. But uh, yeah, you're right. He just, he has, he's very thoughtful and... Uh, does not talk in sound bites. I appreciate that personally. Do the characters bother you because they're hippies or? Yeah, it's literally just a philosophical thing. I'm just like, okay. shut up. Like, <laughs> but, uh, what else have we had this year? I was going to talk about Indignation. It's it's a recent release as well. Um, James Seamus, uh, Logan Lerman. Oh, fantastic actor. It's Philip Roth, a Philip Roth adaptation. Philip Roth is not often given to cinematic no. You know, it's, I've seen terrible Philip Roth adaptations like The Human Stain. Yeah, yeah, it just it rarely works out. This one kind of works out. I mean, really? especially because there's there's a great tête-à-tête between uh, uh, Lerman and Tracy Letts in the movie. Oh my God, Tracy Letts is in it. I forgot that. Yeah, Tracy Letts plays like the 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 you know whatever the head of the college, and they have this sparring in their office, just a sparring of words that's just delicious. Mm. And I think partly because of just Tracy Letts knows how to make that kind of thing land. 100%, yeah. And that kind of stuff is really good in the movie. And it's one of the better Roth adaptations. There's two Roth movies this year. There's also American yes. Pastoral coming up. That's right. Which is, uh, you know, we'll see how Ewan McGregor does with that. But Oh, his directorial debut mm -hmm. feature, sure. Yeah. For me, the best films I've seen uh, so far this year are still two Sundance films, uh, The Birth of a Nation and Manchester sure. by the Sea. Uh, they're both going to be coming back around in the fall festivals. I think they're both going to be dominant players. I mean, the amount of money that Amazon spent on Manchester by the Sea, I mean, I imagine they will keep spending money because... Casey Affleck is a great actor. You can kind of forget that. He's the polar opposite of his brother, you know, <laughs> which is fine because Ben Affleck works in populist kind of vein. You know, he ma he makes Argo. Casey makes, uh, you know... Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward mm. Robert Ford, which is one of the best movies ever made. So, you know, it, they, they just have completely different sensibilities, and uh, that ekes out into how they, how, they, how they are as actors as well. And, and Manchester by the Sea is working with Kenneth Lonergan. Such a great filmmaker. Who is so humanist, and, you know, his, his movies really do play out like novels. The standout for me, and well, not really the standout because Casey is amazing, but I think that Michelle Williams, despite having oh, like five minutes yeah. of time to do stuff, she's nails so it. good. You never would have guessed watching Dawson's Creek all those years ago <laughs> that she was going to be like Jen was going to be an amazing <laughs> breakout actress of her generation. Totally, I, she and she was in a play this year too that was very well received. Oh yes, <laughs> very get, dark. Did she get the Tony play. nomination for that? She, I believe, she was nominated. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see the play, unfortunately. I didn't make it out to New York this year, but I wanted to. In this, again, she has very limited screen time, but it's like Beatrice Strait in Network. Mm -hmm. When she gets her moment, it, it's like, whoa. Yeah, no, I mean, she's fantastic. I mean, it stops fantastic. you dead in your tracks, and I do think she could be a supporting actress nominee. I absolutely think so, and I hope so. Yeah. Uh, similar to Bir uh, The Birth of a Nation, uh, Aja Naomi King mm -hmm. has a supporting role as um, Nat Turner's wife. Mm -hmm. 
And it is also like, you know, she doesn't get as many big moments as uh, Nate Parker, who plays Nat Turner and also wrote and directed the movie. But Mm -hmm. in the scene she has, she's just, she's so strong. Yeah. That whole cast. I mean, Army Hammer is great in that movie. He is. That uh, that movie's sensational to me. I I, I was I went I into was, it expecting uh, like I had lowered my expectations a little bit. Here. Yeah, because yeah. people were saying, "Oh, it's not as good as everyone said at Sundance. It's traditional to a fault." I heard that a number of times. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> because in fact, I don't even think this is quote traditional. Mm-hmm. Because this, I would consider Twelve Years a Slave traditional. I would consider The Birth of a Nation something else. And it's I hate to be reductive and compare the two movies, but that's going to happen. They're sure. from the same studio uh, and with Fox Searchlight picking up Birth of a Nation and Sundance. And I just felt like Birth of a Nation came right out of uh, Nate Parker's heart. 100%. And he is so good as a writer-director, and he's always been a good actor, but his performance in this movie is like nothing I've seen him do. And the question is, will Academy types feel like they're pressured to vote for a movie like that because of the diversity dust-up, because of all of Because if anything has ever been proven, it's that the Academy doesn't like to be strong-armed into yeah. stuff like that. You know, in fact, I thought that was going to work against 12 Years a Slave that year, and it didn't. I'm hoping that if they see it, they'll just recognize how great it is. Well, that's always the hope. And, yeah, reward it from a sincere place. Yeah. Is that naive of me? <laughs> Not really, because I do think that sometimes movies are undeniable, and I mm-hmm. actually feel that way about this one. I feel yeah. like you can't see this movie and uh, not think that it's something extraordinary. And then, uh, you know, onward into the season. Big filmmakers on the horizon like Ben Affleck and Ang Lee and Martin Scorsese. And we'll be here talking about it every week. So uh, are you ready to do this week after week? I'm so ready. Well, I hope I, everyone listening is yeah. too. I'm, I'm enjoying hearing Chris and his professional voice on the radio. Because I never sound like this in person. <laughs> it's always just fart jokes and weird noises. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and stick around. I'll be talking to Seth Rogen right after this. What you're saying is is true. I I, got to tell everyone. Very noble little sausage, but also... Very pointless. No one will believe you. I have to try. Everyone will die otherwise. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Fuck me, right? Wait, do you guys have any proof of this? Go to the dark aisle. Beyond the ice. Why? What's in that aisle? Oh, you'll see. But I warn you. Once you see that shit, it'll fuck you up for life. Good luck. Have fun. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome back. We're here with Seth Rogen, the writer and producer of Sausage Party. Uh, thank you for being my first guest, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me you're, as your first guest. You're like my uh, Billy Crystal. Exactly. I was Bill Murray. I think I was Conan O'Brien's first guest. Oh, were you? Yeah. Conan I, beat us to it. On one show. Well, uh, let's talk about Sausage Party. Let's talk about <laughs> I, You've been talking about plenty over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure. I have, but honestly, like when... When I like the movie and when it's a fun, when I, when I'm genuinely proud of the movie and when I really like it, it's, it's, it's not, uh, that much of a, you know, promotion on the grand scale of things I get to do with my day are, is not the most fun thing. But when I really love the movie, it's much 
easier and much more fun. Well, since you brought it up, what's the ratio of stuff that you're not proud of? I- I'm proud stuff of that almost proud every, of. but honestly, if I'm even like 1% off, it makes it way less fun to promote. Sure. And I'm very hard on the stuff we do and often you know, it, you know, I'd say it's like, I'd say it's like split, honestly. <laughs> I'd say, and you could probably get, it's like a general, you know, it's not shocking which ones are which. But sure. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, this one's awesome. Well, I mean, thank you. Comic-Con yes. was a great place to screen it. Obviously, a great crowd. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, look, it's raunchy. It's vile. All the reasons you probably want to go see the movie, it's going to deliver on those. But I wanted to talk about this. It's interesting because it's more than that. I mean, with this, and this is the end, and Preacher... You're interested in theology, man. I mean, it's it's prevalent in your work lately, and I just let's start there. What's up with that? <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of the most like relevant things you could be discussing. It's kind of arguably the source of most of the conflict most people have in their day to day lives, mm-hmm. and you know, because of that, it's just something we're fascinated by. Me and Evan specifically, we talk about it a ton, and. We were raised Jewish, so like, you know, we, and so that, you know, we were raised under a specific theology that we don't really subscribe to that much anymore. (laughs) And so I think because of that, it was always a part of our lives. And as we got older, we really became fascinated with analyzing it and seeing if, you know, I think it's just basically you want to make comedy or movies, whatever it is, about what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. But uh, what's shocking, though, to me is how few other people seem to make movies about it. Like, there isn't that many other movies about it that are made. Like Touchy subject, I guess. I guess so. But it's weird that even I recognize how weird it is that Mm -hmm. me and Evan, you know, between those things you just said, have probably tackled it more times than most people in the yeah. last like ten years, which is strange. Yeah, you, totally. smarter people should be doing this. This is a plea to more intelligent filmmakers. <laughs> Chris Nolan should be making theological movies. He's wasting his time with time travel and shit. <laughs> totally. Well, no, I think you guys are really smart with it. I mean, Thank one you. of the things I thought was really brilliant about this is the end is how it interrogated kind of the minutia of dogma and the parsing of dogma. I mean, these guys are confronted with this Judeo-Christian apocalypse, yeah. and it's like, what are we supposed to do? What's the manual say? Yeah, exactly. And and that, that just hilarity ensues, as they say. Preacher, obviously, is about this, based on this comic where God no longer, or he's missing. He's gone, And yeah. uh, that's the spoiler, I guess, in how you guys structured it. Mm-hmm. You revealed that in the final episode yeah. of the season. But in this preacher that's just had it up to here with the uh, hypocrisies of religious people essentially yeah. in that town and he feels like god he feels like god is yeah. is missing and then yeah. he finds out he is basically yeah. yeah and now with this i mean you get into it's it's kind of a deep dive into tolerance in many ways sausage party yeah i think it's a deep dive about how i think i think overall some of the things that, you know there's a lot of ideas in it obviously but i think you know religion i think was probably started from like a very good place, you know. And at the time it was started, it was probably very helpful <laughs> for, you know, helping people act in certain ways and believe certain things. And who knows if it's real or not. But this is just like my interpretation of it, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And and like a lot of good ideas, they get, you know, uh, bastardized over the years and warped and distorted and people appropriate them for themselves and you know, reapply them to their own interests, basically. Um, And I think that's kind of what 
the idea of the movie that we ultimately, after years, <laughs> realized was the ultimate message. But because we got smarter as we were making the movie <laughs> over the years, honestly. And I think that was what we realized is like the message needs to be like faith isn't bad and hope isn't bad and believing in things that aren't tangible isn't bad. Letting those things divide you and and prevent you from doing things that, you know, are not destructive to society and would make you happier as a person, um, that's where we start to have conflict with it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that starts to be the idea that we like to explore, you know? Um, and and what, that's what Sasha's Party specifically gets into more than any of our other movies, I think. And what better way to explore that than in the aisles of a supermarket? Exactly. I mean, it is a very uh, harmless, <laughs> you know. Uh, we, I, I honestly remember with 40-Year-Old Virgin, like Judd saying specifically, like, I want to make this movie seem stupid and then people will go see it and realize it's actually a really smart movie. <laughs> like, that was very, because I remember when with the title even, I was like, why are we calling it 40 Year Old Virgin? Like, it's such a stupid title. And it's such a, it, I, like, I thought it was great. It was, it was such a smart movie, I thought. And he was like, that's the point. Like, yeah. people will go to it. You know, the, he's like, if it's good, hopefully it'll get good reviews. And if you're one of those people who's actually cares about that, then you will be aware of it. If you're not, if you're just one of those people who's like, oh, 40 old virgin, that looks funny. <laughs> then you will get so much more than you hoped you were going to get. Like you'll get an actual intelligent movie, hopefully, you know. And it was a really big lesson, honestly. And ever since then, in a lot of ways, it's it's been a cue we've taken, which is the best comedies seem to function on both those levels. They seem, you know, at the, you know, the funniest things at times are just really stupid and that's mm -hmm. what makes them funny. But in order to bolster those things, you need deeper layers, ideally, you know? Absolutely. And so um, that's, I think, a lesson that we really tried to take over the years. Like, I mean, this is the end. I remember we were just like, this movie has like, the biggest margin of difficulty probably out of any movie we'd ever made because if it turns out bad, it's like not only bad, it's like the most self-indulgent piece of shit you could ever <laughs> hope for. And 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 then, but that to us is kind of the fun of it is how do you take an idea that people are like, there's no way they could stretch this out into an actual good movie and then doing it, you know? Yeah. And actually delivering on that and... And sometimes we do. <laughs> Frequently, I would say. Yeah, Some you. might say you're an auteur with that in mind. I mean, you're putting your fingerprints on the stuff. It's not just broad, you know, humor. It's there, There's thought behind it. There's something there. And For sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. we really try. We work on these things for so long that ultimately, if they're not, if they, if they don't have more to them than just the initial idea, then we would lose interest. You yeah. Know? Like, it's mostly just to keep our interest. Like, how... You know, that's why they ultimately get all these deeper ideas. And Sausage Party really evolved a lot over the years. You know, mm. there's a moment in the movie where Frank – it's so funny to talk about it. It's a serious <laughs> movie. There's a moment where Frank, my hot dog, is talking to the store, and he kind of has to learn the lesson that you can't just shit all over people who <laughs> you think are stupid for being religious, basically, because it's A, not productive, and B – who the fuck knows? Maybe you're wrong. Maybe they're right. Like, you don't know, mm -hmm. you know? And that was actually a lesson that, like, us as filmmakers learned throughout the process of making the movie. And 
And, and the movie didn't always have that lesson learned. That was a lesson that we learned. And then we were like, oh, we need to put this in the movie because it, it needs to be one level smarter than it was, basically. Well, you worked on it for 10 years, right? Yes. So it, it had room to grow along <laughs> the way. It really did, yeah. I want to switch gears here and talk about Sony, actually. Uh, you've been there, working there for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, I'm not privy to these kind of things, but I'm just curious what your deal there is like. Is it like under a certain budget, you have a certain amount of freedom? Or? We don't have a deal. You don't, have, but but just as far as like the relationship, I oh, yeah. guess. I mean, basically, we we try to leave as little in the hands of the studio as possible, and I say that with as much love for my friends at the studio says, you know, as 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 possible. Like we try to package everything: actors, producers, director, cast, and then just kind of, and then we try to give it a budget that is incredibly reasonable. And not just the highest budget we can get. We try to do it for a budget, basically, that will let that'll that'll make it so they leave us alone and let us do what we want. Um, We do have a deal with Good Universe, uh, who we make a lot of our movies with, um, and that has also like deeper layers of protection, like you know, I think there's final cut in that and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. It's never really come to that, you know, it's, sure. because again, because we're not the most expensive movies. What we learned while we were making the green Hornet was just like, never be their biggest problem. Right. Like while we were making that, it's like, Oh, we're their biggest problem. And like, because of us, other people are getting to make cool movies mm-hmm. because they're distracted by this. Mm-hmm. And we were like, Oh, we need, we like, we would rather be those guys. That's who we were in the past. And that's now what we've been ever since then is the people who like the studio isn't thinking about that much, honestly, because they're focused on their bigger, more expensive movies. And because of that, we get to do whatever we want. How's things after the the interview? Uh, do you ever get like the side eye from people on the lot that had their email down for however long? Uh, because the uh, North no. Koreans decided to. I mean, we never left. Like, we were always there. We just always were on the lot. We were there the whole time. Like, I don't, I don't know. There probably was some people who I'm sure had a lot of animosity and resentment towards us. But, uh, you know, it wasn't our fault. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Obviously. I was happy to watch that movie on Christmas Day at home. Yes. Way, so was... No, that was, a, that was tumultuous. <laughs> tumultuous, to say the least. Well, speaking of Sony, what do, what do you think about the Ghostbusters brouhaha and and just kind of the misogyny that was flying around is is fandom out of control or does the internet just amplify all of that i think if you pay attention to it i do think some movies unfairly get just kind of targeted i wouldn't don't know if like fandom is out of control Mm because i don't know if there's like I, I, I can't definitively tell you there's, like, a tangible effect to it. You know what I mean? There seems sometimes to be movies that all these fans are up in arms about and hate, and then they do really, really, really well. And then there's yeah. other movies that it seems like people are really going to champion and that core group really like, and they fucking eat shit. And so mm-hmm. I doubt it's tangibility always. When people are talking about uproar and yeah controversy and things like that, I that's where my head goes is like, will this actually affect how much money this movie makes or anything like that? Like, you know that, and I don't know if it does. And my instinct is it doesn't honestly. And so I don't know if ghostbusters, I haven't seen it. 
I should mm-hmm. first say um, I want to see it. It's not that I, I've only just because I've been uh, sell, selling my own wares. Yeah. <laughs> I've been too busy serving my own interests to see it, <laughs> but I'm excited to see it. Um, but I, but yeah, there's a. It's not shocking. I mean, is misogyny shocking? Is it surprising that there's tons of misogynists out there? No, to me that wasn't surprising. Yeah. Um, it. it you know, misogyny is par for the course when you even, but, but there, there's so much misogyny that when you suggest that there's misogyny, misogynists get angry for the mere suggestion that misogyny exists. <laughs> right. That's how much misogyny there is. They won't even acknowledge it exists. And, I think you're right, by yeah. the way, about the, the tangibility factor. I mean, yeah. I always think, you know, does my mom know about all this stuff? No. And she doesn't. Well, it's so, so funny. That's actually probably one of the best things to come of the interview. It was a real lesson in tangibility. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who say they're they're wrapped up in controversy or that there's something happening with their movie and there's uh, uproar and and the interview was the only time when I actually saw it cross into tangibility. Yeah. And that was like as extreme a situation as you could ever have and I really think almost anything short of that is not real. Yeah. You know, it's words on a phone somewhere yeah. Yeah. which I don't know how much I honestly think most of the people who take the time to complain about something so much will still go and see it. Like yeah. it's fine. There's like an early draft of a sausage party script that is floating around on some Reddit or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And it's really old and it's not very good. And it has a lot of stuff that like I would say was in our experimental phase of really pushing some things too far. And it didn't quite add up. And again, it was an early, it was really just a very early draft of the script. Mm-hmm. And, um, What's funny is like so many there. There's been a lot of comments of like, "Oh man, people are saying this sausage party script online is terrible." And I, all I think is like, if you're taking the time to read the fucking early sausage party script, you're probably gonna go see the yeah. movie. And I think that has to do with a lot of these people. Also, is like speaking to its lack of tangibility. Is like I think a lot of them still go see the movie mm-hmm. just so they can complain about it more. Absolutely, you know? just to add more credence to their complaining. Yeah, um, they need to see it. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, I, I don't know how much it actually affects reality. I hear you. Let's talk about uh, California's Proposition 64. How do you think that's going to go in the fall with the uh, recreational marijuana use? I hope it goes in favor of it. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Did Sean Parker call you up and say, hey, I need you on the front lines for this? You no, ever get that kind no one has called me yet. You could have been like the John Lewis of the... Very uh, insulted, yeah. I could be a big advocate. Recreation. <laughs> What's happened? I'm losing my edge. Have you seen that everyone's kind of losing their minds about uh, Malia Obama being seen smoking, supposedly smoking a joint at Lollapalooza or something? Really? It's just like... I'm more shocked that Lollapalooza still exists. <laughs> right. It's in Chicago now. That's shocking. <laughs> Is that ever annoying, by the way? I was actually curious about that when people ask you a weed question just i guess seth is the guy for the weed questions i'm gonna ask him one it is i it's something that like i i guess i get it it's funny because jimmy kimmel i've talked to about it and Mm -hmm. he's just like he's like you have to get it he's just like it's so rare that people are willing to talk about it that Mm -hmm. like he's just like as a as a person who interviews people for a living he's like it's 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 too irresistible not to mention at times just because it's such a rarity to have someone who's willing to be honest about it. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, I get it. But, I mean, just like any question that one would get asked, you know, 
yeah. repetitively. It, <laughs> it gets starts, to be reductive it starts after to a be, while, yeah, sure, yeah. It's the only thing my parents like are generally incredibly proud of me and like are very <laughs> proud of my work. And even, you know, even, you know, Sausage Party, which people's instinct would be like, what are your parents going to think of that? Like they love it. And they like, <laughs> they genuinely appreciate it and laugh very hard at it. And the only thing my dad's ever said to me along those lines is like, do you have to talk about marijuana so much? <laughs> when you're on television in these interviews, do you have to mention marijuana? <laughs> you don't know my dad, but that's, I, a, that's a very good impression. I apologize to your father. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it yeah, no problem. <laughs> but it is a news angle because we do have the proposition on the bill. And, hey, you know, man. Yo, he gets that. We could use the, we could use the money. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then last thing here, you know, last last time we talked, I think, was Telluride. Yeah. Year, almost a year ago. Yeah. And you were there with uh, Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs, which I thought was one of the best movies of the year. Thanks, man. Uh, is that something that you're interested in, doing more drama roles? Is Are you careerist in that way? Do you think in those terms, or is it just as they come? Um, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think in, like, a careerist sense that I would I, – just for just as an experience, I would like to do more of them because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. But mostly what I – enjoyed about it was work was like the people I got to work with, like working with Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin and Kate Winslet and Michael Fassbender. And like, like that was really amazing. And, yeah. um, and the fact that I ultimately like did not ruin the movie among those <laughs> players was, was ultimately a very validating <laughs> experience. And so, um, you know, I always, I always heard, I think it was Woody Allen or something who said, like, you know, you want to make the type of movies that you grew up loving. And I grew up loving all kinds of movies. I grew up loving action movies and serious dramatic movies and sci-fi movies and, you know, um, and comedies. But that was, if you asked me what my favorite movies are, probably less of them are comedies than any other genre, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think to that end, it's very attempting to make other stuff. And that's why actually Preacher was so much fun because, yeah. and continues to be, and we're getting ready to do a second season and we're, you know, um, it, it's, it's as a director, it allows us to do so much more because it's not just rooted in comedy at all the time. So, you know, I feel like stylistically it's given us a chance to like really grow and try new things because again, you're not just serving this one thing all the time, which is comedy. Yeah. And that pilot for Preacher was just sensational. You guys killed it. Thank you so much. It was alive in so many awesome ways and really great new series. Hopefully everybody's watching it. But uh, for now, Sausage Party's opening uh, August 12th. That is tomorrow. That's for when this airs. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, be sure to take your kids. Exactly. And uh, again, Seth, thank thank you for being my first guest, man. Hey, thank you. That was great. I had a good time. Good luck with the movie. I like your little room here. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to subscribe because we'll be back starting September 8th with a new show every week. Once again, I'm Chris Tapley, and this has been Playback at Variety.